The second reading is from Psalm 104, verses 19 to 30, which is on your service sheet, on the overhead projector. And if you want to follow it in the Bible, it's on page 607. Psalm 104, starting at verse 19. He made the moon to mark the seasons, and the sun knows when to go down. You bring darkness, it becomes night, and all the beasts of the forest prowl. The lions roar for their prey, and seek their food from God. The sun rises, and they steal away. They return and lie down in their dens. Then people go out to their work, to their labour, until evening. How many are your works, Lord? In wisdom you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. There is a sea, vast and spacious, teeming with creatures beyond number, living things, both large and small. There the ships go to and fro, and Leviathan, which you formed, to frolic there. All creatures look to you to give them their food at the proper time. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are satisfied with good things. When you hide your face, they are terrified. When you take away their breath, they die and return to the dust. When you send your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. Thank you very much, Mandy, for reading to us. Um, And I'm glad you gave people the encouragement to open up Bibles Because we are working slowly through the psalm, it it is actually pretty useful to have it open in front of you so that you can see the bits that we did last week and what we, God willing, will do next week. So if you are able to get to page 607 easily, it would just help. And I take it we have prayed as we sang that song so we can dive pretty much straight in to the psalm. I'm wondering, as we reach the halfway point in in the series, um, how you're doing on the challenge I gave at the start, if you were here a couple of weeks back. If you remember, we looked at the opening phrase of the psalm then. Um, Have a look down at the Bibles, if you've got it open. Praise the Lord, my soul. And we consider that call to begin with myself, that call to address my inmost being, for me to call on me to praise and worship God as we thought about that verse. And I sort of set a challenge for us to do that. What do we find at the core of our identity and personality? So if you were to cut me open, I think this is a a Derek Fraser phrase. If you were to cut me open um, and look inside, what would you find, as it were? Or you can change the image. If you think of my life as a stick of Brighton rock... What is the lettering that runs along the inside of the stick of rock, all the way through it? The lettering inside me, Simon Scott, as it were, or inside you. What's the message that's there, all through the length of the rock, even if you don't see it on the circumference, the outer edge? Well, Psalm 104, verse 1 says, The real me 
is to be a worshipper of God. And I'm to call on my soul to praise him. Specifically in this psalm, because of the wonder of creation. A wonderful creation should point to the existence of a wonderful creator. And I should praise him as a result. I have a friend who I went skiing with in Australia once. And we were on a three-person chairlift with somebody we'd never met when my friend asked the stranger, gesturing at all the mountains and the snow and the beautiful sky, doesn't all this make you want to praise the God who made it? You might wonder whether a chairlift in midair, perched on the side of a mountain halfway up, it is the best place to try that sort of approach in conversation with a friend. Tough on the stranger if they feel they've got no way of escape at that point. Tough on my friend if it ended up being a bit like one of those balloon debates where one person gets thrown overboard and he was chosen. But the question is good. Uh, looking over the ground we've covered in the whole psalm as a, as a whole, all the different things in creation, songbirds, mountains, valleys, trees, grass, thunder, lightning, weather cycles, stalks, wild donkeys, food and wine. Doesn't all this make you want to praise the God who made it. It should do. And if it doesn't, then it probably means you're in denial in some way. Maybe it suits you not to praise a mighty, awesome creator God because you'd like to be in charge. So let me refresh your memory a bit of the ground we've covered in the Psalms so far just to give you the reasons we might need to praise our maker. I'll sum it up as three areas of praise that we've already covered. And we've got two more to focus on in today's verses. So far, the psalm has covered the gift of water to satisfy thirst, to irrigate the land and fields for animals and for crops. And what a blessing water is. That leads on to the gift of food, bread, wine and oil we had mentioned last week. Foodstuffs to make us healthy and happy. And what an excellent habit it is to praise God when we eat. It makes a meal more enjoyable if you start as if you were unwrapping a present given to you personally by Almighty God. We notice the third provision, the gift of shelter, trees given by God to the birds, the mountains given to wild goats or to the hyrax, whatever that is. And then today, dens for lions. So next time you shut the door behind you and get in from the cold, why not thank God for a roof over your head? Or even, if this is your thing, for a hottie in the bed. He provides shelter, a suitable habitat for his creatures. Now, all that we've covered so far, I mentioned that this psalm is a song that riffs on the first chapter of the Bible, different aspects of creation covered in that first chapter over the structure of six days. And each day, God looks out on a different aspect of creation and says, it's good. So he takes delight in what he's made, and so should we. What about the section before us today? I want to highlight today the feature of the different rhythms within creation. The rhythm of day and night, 
and the rhythm of life and death. So the rhythm of day and night to start with. Let me uh, read verse 19 again. He made the moon to mark the seasons and the sun knows when to go down. As before, this is a meditation on God saying, let there be light at the start in creation and then the point in creation where he appointed the sun and the moon to rule over the days and night. And this adds, this verse here, their influence over the seasons. Because obviously the sun at least has a bearing on the seasons. I remember David Finney from our congregation once remarking to me that he liked it when winter really was winter and not just a sort of indeterminate continuation of autumn into spring in differing shades of grey. He liked the real hard frost that we've been having at the moment. And this psalm takes pleasure in the rhythm of the seasons, changing from one to another, winter, spring, summer and fall. God did it. But notice that he doesn't just report it as a fact, God did it. He celebrates it as a prayer. Let me read on from verse 20. You bring darkness, it becomes night, and all the beasts of the forest prowl. The lions roar for their prey and seek their food from God. The sun rises and they steal away. They return and lie down in their dens. Then people go out to their work to their labor until evening. So the rhythm of sunset and sunrise means day and night are teeming with life at different times for different creatures. That's the point he's making. Lions, and I suppose we could add monk jacks and tawny owls, they're all busy at night, and they slip away. They disappear at dawn when humans get up to go to work whether that is the office, the farm, the school, or whatever. And there is a a regularity, a drumbeat to life, which brings enrichment, not monotony. Notice verse 23, another little throwaway line almost, implied the idea there that our labor only goes on until evening. So we don't work 24-7. The rhythm of day and night is a built-in safeguard of the balance of work and rest which is one of God's most precious gifts to us. Some of us, I suppose, perhaps do need to work late or early shifts, but we aren't all meant to be night owls. And this is a rhythm of life that God has instituted. He's the author of this rhythm of night and day. And part of our creatureliness may well be to accept that natural limiter on our activity. We do well not to fight God's providential ordering of creation, the way he set up time in 24-hour slots, that is not an accident. It is for our good. Just as a footnote, I can't really prove this from this passage, but I think it is a, a justifiable footnote. I wonder if some of us need this as an implied reminder of the way the Bible so often speaks of the need for the 24-hour unit daily to stay spiritually healthy. For example, reading our Bible and praying every day. I wonder if you have that as a a daily habit in your home, with others and on your own. Give us today our daily bread. We pray that way for our physical health and sustenance. That's right. But take up the cross daily, says Jesus, spiritually. Encourage each other daily, 
says the book of Hebrews. And that rhythm of day and night has an influence, or it should do, on our daily spiritual health and disciplines. Every day in the desert, the Israelites prayed, Rise up, O Lord, at the start of the day, and let your enemies be scattered. And then as night fell, they prayed again, Return, O Lord, to the countless thousands of Israel. It's part of living according to the daily rhythm of sun and moon, day and night. Or so it seems to me, at any rate. Now I want to skip over, if I'm allowed to do that, the next few verses, and let me highlight a second rhythm point, the rhythm of life and death. I'm reading now from verse 27. Verse 27. All creatures look to you to give them their food at the proper time. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they're satisfied with good things. When you hide your face, they are terrified. When you take away their breath, they die and return to the dust. When you send your spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the ground. And I I think I've got this right, but do you notice there how there's a slightly new note sounded in those words? It's a slightly jarring note compared to what we've had in the rest of the psalm, because for the first time in the psalm, it's clear there, isn't it, that not all is well in the world. And I suppose there's been a, a potential for fear beforehand, just because of the scale and hugeness of creation. And of course, if there is thunder and fire and stormy seas, and huge animals like lions or leviathans. There's, there's potential for fear in one sense. But here, for all creatures, humans and animals, they actually use the word terror. There's naked terror when God hides his face. And that, it seems to me, is a new note in the psalm, really. Apparently, he stands behind this particular rhythm in creation. So I was struggling in my preparation to capture the right words for a heading. Uh, the rhythm, rhythm of life and death is where I've come to rest, but I had all sorts of other options in mind. Boom and bust, decay and rebirth, death and resurrection, the open hand of God, and the hidden face of God as God turns away. They're all there in the verses I read a moment ago. What the verses say is that both human beings and animals, it's all creatures in verse 27, seek sustenance from God and sometimes he grants it and they're satisfied and then at other times he withholds it or he deliberately hides his face and withdraws his blessing even to the extent that his creatures return to dust as in they die and are buried, and decompose. But even that's not the end of the melody, because winter is followed by spring, and spring is not just a natural event, but supernatural. In verse 30, when you send your spirit, they're created, and you renew the face of the ground. It's a work of the Holy Spirit to breathe life into creation again. There's more in the Bible that uh, makes this a little clearer to us. When God made the world, there was a death penalty on human disobedience. God said to humanity, dust you are, and to dust you'll return if you reject my rule. 
And so we live with that rhythm. We all do in a fallen world. Even animals who humanity is to rule over succumb to this. We all live and die. There was a graffiti scribbled up on a hospital wall once. The first two minutes of a person's life, it said, are the most critical. And underneath some wisecrack had written, the last two minutes are pretty dicey too. (laughs) But both birth and death are pivotally important and hugely significant in a rhythm of life established by God. But the terror of death and decay does not have the last word or need not have the last word because in the rhythm of life and death, the other side of death, there is resurrection and a whole new recreated world, potentially. And every springtime, this psalm implies, bears witness to that. But so too, we could add, does the message of Jesus Christ. He was the one who died on the cross to deal with our sins and with all the consequences of sin in a fallen world. He loved us so much that he didn't leave us all in the death trap of our existence. He came into that death trap himself. He was born a human being. He was obedient to death, the Bible says, even death on a cross. So if you think, I don't know how people are tonight, but if you think that God has hidden his face from you, then know for sure that Jesus Christ knows what that feels like. He cried out when he died on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That tells us that he loves us. If you're feeling today as if God has just disappeared, well, Jesus had that same experience himself. Just because he loves you, he went to the cross. And just because he has dealt with sin as he died, he has overcome death. He rose again. He can give us new life, a whole new world even. It's interesting to me that we've had two very big funerals in church this week. Um, I haven't really seen the building as full uh, on many occasions as we had it on two services this last week for Edward Toll and Nigel Penn. The average age of the congregation, I reckon, for those two services was surely comfortably over 70. Um, I'm 57, and I was trying to bring the average down a bit. And even I was in those two services feeling, Simon Scott, it'll be your turn soon. You're in the waiting room. It won't be long. Which is right. But, so we've had that, says two stark reminders of death in those funerals this week. But we've also been reminded of the work of God's Spirit in bringing new life this week. Giving thanks for baby Eleanor Cragg and an even younger baby in church for the first time today, Jonathan Tisdall. And that is part of the rhythm of life. And this psalm eloquently bears witness to it. Boom and bust. Decay and rebirth. Death and resurrection. The open hand of God. The hidden face of God. But think back in the psalm to the creatures getting their daily food from God. Death and resurrection. They really aren't the end of the spectrum as far as I can see. Isn't it saying that short of that extreme of death and resurrection, all the time in life we've got these reversals of fortune that we have to deal with. The swanky word for it 
theologically is providence. God blesses us at times, and at other times he withholds blessing. And it seems to me that's a really helpful note to sound at the moment in our national experience, in our global sense of what's going on in the world. Maybe it's true in your own life at the moment. People talk about the winter of our discontent, don't they? That's now, isn't it, with war, inflation, strikes, spiritual battles maybe, certainly discouraging times, it seems to me, for Christians living in England at the moment. We may be aware of plenty of blessing in our lives, but there's plenty to make me wonder if God isn't hiding his face at times. Maybe you can add illness and difficulty in your own life into the mix there. How do we cope with that rhythm of the ups and downs of life? Well, the answer of this psalm is to see God as standing behind that sort of ebb and flow in our circumstances. He is the Lord of providence. And so every reversal of fortunes is a helpful reminder that God is the boss, not me. Of course, we thank him for every good thing we enjoy. But I wonder, do we also dare to thank him for every challenge we go through? Because those very challenges prompt us to cry out to him and to trust him. I mean, God knows we probably wouldn't trust him if everything went fine the whole time. When he hides his face, it can do us good if that makes us try and find him. So we thought about two aspects of God's providential ordering of our creation, the rhythm of night and day and the rhythm of life and death. There is a tide in the affairs of man, and God is the one who stands behind that ebb and flow. So how will we respond? Well, the beauty of a four-week series is that we can really deal with that next week. What I want to do is, I said I'd skip verses 24 and onwards, but I've I've left one verse uh, uncommented on, verse 24. The answer of the psalm, it seems to me, is to let God be God and to acknowledge that he knows best. That's how we respond to the ebb and flow of life, even the ebb and flow of day and night. To let God be God and to acknowledge that he knows best. Of course he does. He's our maker. And I want to encourage us to turn to verse 24. And maybe we can echo it humbly as one creature amongst the whole creation as a little prayer as I close. Happy to say that with me. Psalm 104, verse 24. How many are your works, Lord? In wisdom you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Amen.